But today we're starting a brand new series called The Way. And really, here's what this series is about. In the early church, if you look in the book of Acts and uh, through the epistles written by Paul in the New Testament, that the early church would refer to themselves as the way. Uh, it really stems from John chapter 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were called followers of the, the way. And what we're talking in this series is going to lead us right up to Easter Sunday. Mark your calendars, April 9th. Uh, it's going to be a, a great day as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Invite your neighbors, your friends, your mama. Invite everybody, okay? Uh, but before these five weeks leading up, we're gonna be in this series. We're gonna talk about looking at the words of Jesus in the life of Jesus, as well as the life of the early church. How do we follow the way or the ways of Christ in our current cultural moment? Uh, the reality is, as we look to books like the book of Romans and Corinthians, for the church at Corinth and Rome and, and Ephesus and these cities, there's lots of actually similarities between us here in the Washington metropolitan area and, and those cities or wherever you're living watching online. And we're going to draw some principles about how do we follow the way? How do we follow the ways of Christ? And maybe you're here and you're kind of kicking the tires, kind of checking out Christianity. You're not having yet made a commitment yet. You kind of see and learn about really what, our, what the Word of God says about how we're to live our life as followers of the way. So we're going to talk in this series about how do we relate to each other uh, as, as fellow Christians, as the church? How do we relate to those outside the church in our world, your colleagues and, and your neighbors? And how do we also engage with the social, moral, and, and, and ethical issues of our day as followers of Christ? And the good news is the Word of God has lots of instruction and practical application for how we're to live our life today. But starting off today, as I was praying through the series, I have our five messages mapped out. So really kind of praying through uh, what, where to start. And I really felt that today to start about, to start talking in this, this message series around how do we relate to each other as the church, as Christians, as followers of Christ. And here's why this is important. Because the Bible actually speaks to relationships with each other as the church as different than how we relate to those outside the church. Not either good or bad, just different. In fact, when you read in the scriptures, there are over 100 times in the New Testament it uses the phrase one another. In fact, everyone say it together, one another. One another. 59 times there are specific commands like be kind to one another, forgive one another, serve one another, love one another, be compassionate to one another. Every time you read the phrase one another, it is referring to how you relate to another Christian. Jesus uses the phrase, Paul uses the phrase, Peter, James, all throughout the New Testament. And we're going to look today at a time that Jesus used these words, this phrase, one another. And we're going to look at a, at, a, at a, from Romans, where the Apostle Paul used this phrase several times in referring to how we relate to each other. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we open it up today, Father, we're just saying we're ready to receive from you. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. John 13, we're going to start there. John 13, uh, give context of this chapter in the Gospels. Jesus had just had the Last Supper. Uh, 
and he had washed his disciples' feet. So, you know, he took the towel around his waist and foot washing was done by the, the servant, the lowest servant in the household would wash feet. Come on, if you ever saw feet, you'll understand why no one wanted to wash feet. Come on, right? Uh, so, they, so Jesus, uh, a rabbi, Lord, Savior, washes his disciples' feet, which, which almost uh, offends them because, man, how are you washing our feet? Because Jesus was introducing a different form of leadership, a servant leadership that he was going to lay his life down. In fact, he even washed the feet of Peter who was there who was about to deny him. In fact, during the, the dinner, Judas gets up to go betray him. Now listen, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, hey, we're having a last supper, except for you, Peter. And Judas, if you show up, I will punch you in the face. But Jesus is different than Jeremy. But he, listen, this shows, I want you to catch this though. I want you to fully digest the grace of God. He fully already knew that Judas would betray him, but yet he still served him. And aren't you grateful that even in your rebellion, in my rebellion, in our sin, he loved you so much, he died for you. And we have to remember that in the church so we don't somehow think we're all high and mighty now that we know Christ. And we look down upon those who may offend you, hurt you, and betray you and stab you in the back because the grace that God has given to us. Far easier to, to teach than it is to embrace, but, but Jesus says these parting words to his disciples. These are parting words. He's, he's, he's kind of summing up, uh, really he knows he's, he's about to, to die. And these are one of the last words he says to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. If you have your physical Bible with you, or if you, maybe your version Bible app, you can still highlight this. He says, as I have loved you. That's an important phrase. We're going to come back to this. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is important because in, in Luke, you may have read this before, the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart your soul, your mind, your strength, right? And then what's the, what's the second part? Love your neighbor as, and that applies to your coworker who annoys you. Come on, somebody. That neighbor who steals your parking space. Right? Come on, your spouse, who even though you told them to take the trash out, they still haven't for two days. <laughs> uh, but listen, watch this, watch this now. Now he's speaking to his disciples. He says, love one another, not as you love yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. He just raised the game. So I want you to catch this, it's important. He actually calls his disciples to love each other with a greater love than how we love our neighbor. There's a difference. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor. But I want you to love each other as I have loved 
you. I'd have been like, whoa, 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 Jesus. You're about to die for us. I don't love Peter that much. Come on, somebody. He raises, he raises the game. And watch this. He says, it is by this people will know you follow me. Not by how well you know scripture, although you should. Not by how eloquently you pray, but you should pray. But by how well you love each other. Digest this, church. He says to his church, us, his followers, us, Christians, us, the world, the greatest testimony you have in the world is how well you love each other. That's our greatest witness, church. The local church should be the most loving, generous, forgiving, kind community in the entire city. That's the words of Jesus. Now, Paul in Romans 12 gives us further application. Romans is a great book to read if you're new to Christianity, new to, to Bible, the Bible, because Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul gives a basic foundational doctrine of the Christian faith, that, 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 that our righteousness comes through Christ and he basically writes Romans like that because he had yet to visit Rome. So he basically tells Rome via letter the things he would have told Rome in person if he was able to speak to them. But then verses 12, so chapters 1 through 11, he gives correct orthodoxy, right thinking, right beliefs. But then in verses, or chapters 12 through 16, he gives orthopraxy, right living. That it's important you know the, the right things. But anybody else you ever met a Christian, they knew the right things. They just didn't do what they knew. <laughs> right? They could recite the scripture. But they couldn't forgive that coworker. Come on, somebody. They, they knew the Bible. Man, but they were one of the least generous people you ever knew. Paul says orthodoxy and orthopraxy are both important. In other words, the words of James, if you know the word but you don't do the word, you are actually under deception from yourself. So in chapter 12, he begins to get into our business. <laughs> and he starts off with, hey, offer your body as a living sacrifice. He starts off kind of light. <laughs> hey, by the way, lay down your life for Christ. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm glad you kind of eased in there a little bit there. And then verses 9 through 16, he gives, my Bible calls it love and action, a little subtitle. But he gives basically practical instruction for how we're to love each other in the church. Here's what he says, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. We're going to unpack that chapter and share three applications from this truth from Paul on how we're to relate to each other as the church, as Christians, as followers of the way. Here's point number one if you're taking notes, and that is we are supposed to first be devoted to one another. He says, be devoted to one another in love. 
That word devoted means to, to be persistent, to have a have a affection like you do for your family. And then the word love is the word Philadelphia. It literally means to love each other as family. Uh, the number one metaphor you'll see in scripture used for the church is the family of God. That's why you'll see Peter and James and Paul write, brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, because they use this metaphor because Jesus used it. In the, in the Gospels, if some of you know this, there was a moment that, that Jesus, somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. Your brother's here. And he says, those who are with me are my brother and my brother. Those who do the will of God are my family. Now, he's not dismissing the value of biological family. He's just setting a precedent as spiritual family. And Paul is reiterating it, that we are to be as the church as committed to each other as we are to family. Now, that's different maybe than what you've heard before. Here's what Paul says. Your commitment to the church, meaning people, other Christians, followers of Christ, is, is supposed to be deeper and have more devotion than that that you give to your alumni association, to your running club, to your golfing buddy to those in your kid's PTA. He says that we are actually supposed to be family. Think about it. Some of you have family you don't even like. Come on, that's you, raise your hand. Come on, somebody. If you're with them, don't raise your hand. We all got family, right? You know this, true. Don't act like you're so holy. Like you knew if they were not my cousin, I would never see them in my life, right? If you're my cousin and you're watching, it's not you, it's the other ones. So listen, Paul says, you may not always like other Christians, but love them anyway. Have you ever met a Christian you don't like? I have. Don't judge me. But listen, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you like or not like somebody. Paul says, be devoted, be committed have a loyalty. The first church in Acts chapter 242 says this, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. But at the center of our devotion is Christ. That which binds us is Jesus. He's the center of our devotion. Then verse 46 of chapter 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you ever needed a scripture to justify your carbohydrate obsession, Acts 2.46, come on, somebody. It didn't say, and they tore, they tore the spinach and had salad together. Come on, right? They broke some bread. How many of you know, when warm bread comes on the table, you're like, the Lord is in this place. When my salad has kale, I say, you get behind me, Satan. I never knew you. <laughs> Come on, bread. Br <laughs> I shouldn't. Okay, go on. <laughs> bread by itself is good. Here's how you know greens aren't good. You have to put dressing on it to eat it. That's all I'm saying. Okay, he's the bread of life. That's not in my notes. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but they they had a rhythm. Their devotion had a rhythm. Every day they were in the temple courts. 
They gathered in homes. It's important to have a rhythm to your devotion. You know, I was thinking when I met Christina back when we were, before we were dating, I met her while working out at the gym. And uh, she's not in this service, so I can tell you this. Um, I was on the elliptical, and she came up to the one right next to me. And I thought, this girl is digging me. She must have saw me on that bench press and been like, okay. Uh, but I found out what time she typically showed up to the gym. So your boy would just so happen to show up at the same time. But oh, it's funny seeing you here. And then I would say afterwards, hey, let's go get a protein shake together. You got to eat something after you do workout, right? So we spent hours together every week because of that. Even outside of dating, like going on dates, we, we just spent time together. And then now we'll be married 13 years this July. And over 13 years, over 13 years, we have dated most of those 13 years every week. Every week we have a date. And can I tell you, our relationship is not perfect, but we have a healthy marriage. And I don't say it to, I'm not saying it like to boast. I'm just saying, it's, it's listen, anything of life that has value will cost you something. And can I tell you, the reason we have health is because we've been consistent. Consistency trumps intensity every day of the week and twice on Sunday. It's not about what you do intensely. It's about what you do consistently. It's not about saying, I'm going to read through the Bible today. <laughs> it's just reading a little bit every day. Right? It's what you do consistently. It's, it's a little bit of scripture. Prayer. Let me break it down for church and how we're to relate to each other is they had a devotion, a rhythm, and consistency compounds over time. So you want to build deep, healthy, rich, vibrant relationships with other followers of Jesus? Here's my, here's my practical challenge for you, is commit to gathering, to attending church more Sundays than you missed this year. Now, I'm not saying don't go on vacation, and I'm not saying show up when you're sick. In fact, if you're sick, please don't show up. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to keep my kids healthy. But what I am saying is this, is, is commit in your heart. And I'm going I'm to be in the house of God. Again, and listen, and don't just, just, don't just come in and then jet out. Write this word down. My pastor years ago told me this. He said, when you come to church, just linger a little longer. Linger. Get to know somebody. Like, introduce yourself to somebody. Build some relationships. Be consistent in commu your community group. Come on. Some of you have signed up for a community group. I'm about to step on some toes, but I'm wearing slippers. But you have yet to show up to your community group. Now listen, things happen, but commit in your heart. I'm going to show up more than I'm not going to show up. I'm going to show up more than I'm going to miss this semester because it's consistency. D.L. Moody said this, church attendance, he's a theologian, evangelist, is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Vanderbilt University in 2017 did a study where they found, uh, they did a, a kind of a longitudinal study of, of adults. They found both men and women who attend church or houses of worship, they found reduced their risk of mortality by 55%. They said they, they, their, their association they attributed to less stress. Trinity College of Dublin, they did a 10-year longitudinal study in 2017. It was published. 
They found those who attend church uh, on a regular basis have fewer depressive symptoms and overall better mental well-being. It reminds me of Psalm 92, 13 that says, those who plant themselves in the house of God will flourish in life. Do you know if you, have, if you take a plant, and I'm no botanist, but I do know this much. If you plant it, and then you uproot it, and you plant it again, then you uproot it, and you plant it again, then you uproot it, and you plant it again, you will never give the plant an opportunity to absorb the nutrients and minerals of the soil it was planted in. And I have seen in my 12 years of pastoral ministry, there have been Christians in our culture, we might call it church hopping, or they come to a church for a little bit and they don't ever fully get planted. And then here's what happens, is they don't experience the full blessings of a healthy, Christ-centered local church. So here's my challenge to you, is get planted, is commit. I'm gonna attend more Sundays than I miss. And when I do miss, I'll watch online. I'm going to get involved in a group. I'm going to come through next steps. I'm going to get planted in the house of God. He then says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That, 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 what that means, he says, he says, that word sincere, it means love must be without hypocrisy because there was hypocrisy in the Roman church. See, the Hebrew Christians were, were good with the Hebrew Christians. They didn't know what to think about the Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians were okay with the Gentile Christians. They weren't quite sure about those Hebrew Christians. And he says, how you are living is hypocritical because we're called to love all people. Paul says that what divides, the dividing lines of culture should not be the dividing lines of the church. And if you believe it, can you say amen? Church may, or the culture may divide upon political lines, but the church does not. There may be divisions upon racial and cultural and ethnic lines, but in the church, there is not. There may be divisions upon socioeconomic backgrounds, but in the church, there is not. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the great unifier. That's what we gather around. We don't gather around a political or social cause. We gather around Christ crucified and resurrected. And he says that, that we're to cling together. That word cling literally translates like glue. That we're to be unified. In Ephesians 4, he says this, make every effort. That means work hard. That means sometimes it will be hard <laughs> to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father through it all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's what Paul says, or yeah. He says, keep the main thing the main thing. That one person come to, came to Paul and said, hey, Paul, there are some people that are preaching Christ and they don't have good intentions. And he said, if, 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 if Christ crucified is being preached, then regardless of their intentions, that's, that's, that's what matters. And I think, here, here's what Paul's saying. Listen, what matters is our unity, one Lord, one God, one baptism, one faith, that we, we remain unified. The enemy loves a divided church. He loves and we divide over the things that the culture divides over because he knows the Bible says where there's unity, God commands a blessing. I was reminded so often, the other day my kids were home all together 
And when they're all home together, we have an argument about once every 32 minutes. Any parents relate? Come on. Yeah. And sometimes I go to my kids, I say, hey, listen, like your siblings, you have the same last name. You should not fight with each other. You should fight for each other. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves as Christians, <laughs> hey, we, we bear the same name. We might, we might differ on, on political issues or periphery theological issues, but may we come together under one Lord, Jesus Christ, one Father, one Spirit, and stop fighting with each other. And why don't we start fighting for each other? Is that fair enough? That, that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, let's fight for each other, not with each other. Let me say one last thing. And I want to be gentle. But one of the ways that I have noticed that in the church there's a vision in local churches can come through a fence. And I myself was allowed myself for 10 years to be out of a local church because I was offended with other Christians. And I know right now there's, there's lots of conversation in Christian about church hurt. And let me just say this, there are some people who have done bad things and have bad motives and ill intentions. And one day they will have to stand before Christ. But I'm gonna say this personally, my own personal journey, that for 10 years, I, I completely withdrew from the local church because of what a person did to me. And the only person who was hurt by those 10 years of me being out of church was me. Here's my just encouragement to you. I know you're on a journey if you've been hurt by somebody. It's, it's real, it's painful. And here's my encouragement from the scriptures. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And here's my encouragement if that's you. You're on your journey. Man, you'll never feel any kind of pressure here at Catalyst, but we will teach you the truth. And, and here's my, my challenge to you is to once again, because sometimes people can just avoid the church physically, but I've also met some people who they, they, they're physically a part of a church, but emotionally and spiritually, they keep their distance. So like, I like showing up, but I'm not yet getting really involved because last time I got involved in a church, someone said a careless word and it hurt me or someone overlooked me. And, and I'm sorry for that. And, and again, some people have bad intentions. Some people, it just happens because people are imperfect. But here's my challenge for you. For the sake of your soul is to try the church of Jesus Christ again. Amen? Here's number two. So devote yourself. Devoted. Number two is we contribute to one another. Paul says in verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. That means to value each other above yourself. Now, this was a profound statement if we were in Rome. Because in Rome, Roman soldiers were taught to prefer themselves over others. You were literally taught as a Roman soldier, never prefer somebody else. And Caesar said, let those who are of a superior class, rather, sorry, Caesar came out publicly. He was like, let those, of, let those of an inferior status always prefer those of the superior status. In fact, the church of Rome was so attractive because they actually put value, gave value to those who were overlooked and oppressed in culture. 
namely in Rome, women, ethnic and cultural minorities, those of a lower financial class. And the church began to grow and blossom because Paul says, we value all people. This is important to note. In the church, we honor all people. We don't honor people based upon your status, based upon your financial background, based upon even your role in the church. We honor and value you because you were made in the image of God. Here's what that means. You have unconditional value to me because you were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. So Paul, what he said was a profound statement because it was very contrary to the culture in which they lived in at the time. Because what the cultural norm can be is as we honor one group, we can either unintentionally or, dishonor, or, or unintentionally dishonor the other group. We see it all the time in culture. So we actively honor all people in the church. Paul said in Philippians 2 this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Paul says, be considerate of other people. In our Western culture, that what we can commonly, when we approach church, think to ourselves is, and I think a degree of this is healthy. As we come to church for, well, is this church gonna meet my needs? Is this church, they have the programs that, that I'm looking for right now. And I think it's important to have a church that aligns with your values. So I think when, you, when, you, when you're looking for a church and it's important to say, hey, is this a church that aligns with the values of, of myself or if you have a family, me, my family? But listen, if you stay in a posture of, is this church meeting my need? Let me say it this way. If you only look to the church for what you can get from it, you actually end up missing out on the very best of it. Because Jesus said, you are more blessed when you give than you receive. And we, if we're not careful, we can buy into the consumerist culture. We live in our Western culture and we can approach the church. Can I just tell you this? I just wanna help you out. If you only approach the church for what the church can do for me, you will end up disappointed because it's not the way this works. He actually says when you consider other people, when you value other people, you're more blessed when you give than when you receive when you serve than when you're served, when you consider others and not just yourself. Are you hearing me, church? It's getting awfully quiet. But what he's saying is this is the way that the church operates. So when I, when I come to church on Sundays, I don't just come to pray for or be prayed for, but I come to pray for others. I don't just come to be served, I come to serve others. When I show up at my group, I'm not just coming to be encouraged. I'm coming to encourage others. That's what Paul's saying here, that we value other people above ourself. Here's my question for, to ask yourself. It's how can I add value to somebody else today? He then says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. In verse 13. You know, one of the marks of the early church was their extravagant generosity. They were incredibly extravagant in their generosity within the church. Like Philippians 2.25, Paul says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. 
Paul, what happened was Epaphroditus came to actually meet the financial needs of Paul. He needed some material resources. And if you're new to Catalyst, kind of say this, you have, you have come to one of those generous churches uh, that I know of, sincerely. Uh, generous with each other. I can tell you story after story of people in the church and how they rallied around people. Remember our first year, uh, we, had, we were not even a year old yet. And someone in our church, she was on our greeting team and she led one of our community groups. And she ended up having this just kind of really out of the blue uh, neurological issue. And it really disabled her from doing a lot of the things she was typically doing. So people she served alongside, people she was in group with came around her and they ended up bringing her meals. They ended up coming to spend time with her. They ended up giving her rides to the doctor. It was a beautiful thing of the church in action. Some years before that of a church I was a part of, I'll never forget this. There was a gentleman in our church who'd been a part of it for several years now. And he ended up going to the hospital for, he had a heart attack. And for about a week, he was in the hospital and, and just, he was in a, involved in several groups. He served as a greeter as well. And people were coming through the church to visit him in the hospital. So one of my good friends came to me one time and he said, yeah, he's like, I just went by and I visited him recently. He said, so the nurse pulled me aside and said, is this guy that I'm caring for, is he famous? She said, nonstop, he's had people coming by. <laughs> and my friend was like, well, yeah, he was kind of famous to us. He's, and said, we're, we're all part of this church. Can I tell you the beauty of the local church is when we're loving each other as God's loved us. That we're showing up for each other in their lowest moments. We're showing up for each other in our most difficult seasons. I want to encourage you, be there for people. I don't, someone told me years ago, be there for people in their highs, so when they, man, they get into that school, they graduate, they get that job, they get married, they have that baby, and they're lows. They get let go from that job when they're in the hospital, when they have another miscarriage. There's something powerful, church, when we show up and we care for one another as Christ cares for us. A few scriptures before that in Romans 12, verse 4, says this. Paul wrote, Again, now he's using a, a body analogy. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part have a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So the second metaphor you'll see most often used in scripture for the church is the body of Christ. And Paul says every part of the body is important. Remember years ago, I injured my rotator cuff. And the rotator cuff is a real small tendon. But if you ever injure your rotator cuff, it's amazing by how much that little, little tendon influences. Like, I couldn't sleep well. It, like, hurt to drive the car with that, that arm. Like, it was crazy. For, like, months, I was in pain, had to do rehab. I was like, man, this is a small tendon. So by Paul and the scriptures, by God using the metaphor of the body, here's what he's communicating. Every part of the body is important and significant. And can I tell you, every part of the body of Christ is valuable and significant. Can I get an amen? He goes on to say this. So those of you who have the gift of prophecy, prophesy. The gift of administration, administrate. The gift of leadership, lead. The gift of, of exhortation, exhort. He, he basically saying, hey, exercise your part of the body. And I was reminded, as he was saying, each part of your body doing, doing your work, I was reminded years ago, 
I was at a, a missions trip in Kampala, Uganda. We were with this local church there, doing amazing work, caring for orphans. And we were at this village, and about 30 of us from the States, about 20 locals. We were building a house brick by brick for a teacher who was going to teach these children. And so there was like, they split up all 50 of us. Some people had to go across the property to get bricks. Some had to carry the bricks to the bricklayer. Some had to stir the concrete. That was your boy. And then we had to carry the concrete to the bricklayer. And then they had people laying bricks. So we all had a different parts. So for eight hours a day, we like worked. What was so rewarding was the end of our like four days of working, the frame of this house was up. The, the outside, the bricks were up and they were laid and it was beautiful. And Paul says this, when every part of the body of Christ in Ephesians 4 does their part, it builds the body of Christ up in love. One tra translation says every joint supplies, that we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. Can I tell you, the reason we have next steps is in part so you can discover your unique part in the body. The reason we have a dream team, yes, we have needs as a church, absolutely. But most importantly, so you can operate in your gifting so that you can build the body of Christ up in love. That today, you are blessed with the gifting of our production team who are behind the scenes, making this service happen both here in person and online. Gifted by our musicians and our vocalists on the stage. Gifted, everybody's been blessed today by our setup team. Some here as early as 6.30 to set up church today. In fact, can we give it up for all those who are here early to set up? You're, you're gifted by those who have a gift of hospitality and are leading a group and you're being blessed by that group. Here's what I'm saying, listen, that you are a significant part of the body of Christ and you're not merely meant to receive but be a part. And you're not called to do everything, no one is. But every part of the body is called to do something. We wanna help you discover that part so the body of Christ can be built up. It's not about Catalyst Church. It's not about what we, it's about building up the body of Christ. Amen? Here's my final part, final point. So we devoted or contribute, number three, is we welcome one another. We welcome. Verse 14, practice hospitality, Paul says. Hospitality is not just throw a good dinner party, although it can be. It literally translates in the Greek, the love of a stranger. Paul says, man, love those who are outside the church. I once heard before, several people made this statement that the, the local church exists, is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet a part of it, or those who are outside of it. That we as a church exist for people who are not yet a part of God's church. And Paul says to practice that hospitality, to welcome strangers, to welcome those who are not yet a part of us. That also includes in your everyday life, extending the grace of God to others in your life, to your coworker, to your neighbor, to those around you. Practically as a church, this is why, if you ever noticed, if you've been coming here for a while, maybe you've wondered, why do we have so many signs when you pull up and flags? Here's why. Because when those come in for the first time, we want to make sure you know where to go. There is nothing worse than going someplace for the first time and you're like, where do I park? <laughs> in fact, the guest told me after first service, he said, your signs helped me today. I knew where to go. And then we have greeters. Yeah, to greet everybody. 
but mainly for a guest. So you come in and you don't know where to go. You know where to go and you're greeted by a, a smile and it's great to see you. And we have a welcome every service. If you've been here for a long time, some of you tuned out Pastor Anu today because you knew what he was going to say. And you need to apologize to Pastor Anu. You're like, I know, I know, welcome, connection card, I know. Because it's not for you. It was for you at one point. It's for those who are new here. We're glad you're here. We want you to know we're glad that you're here. We're here to help you to get connected. This is why we do things a certain way, church. In the same way, we're to live our life that way. And I love this. In fact, let me say this. You are all officially today on the Catalyst Church guest services team. Welcome. Come on. Because it's not just our greeters called to do hospitality. It's you. So if you see someone who's your first time here, you greet them. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Jeremy. How long have you been coming here? And we're so glad you're here. Here's, you know, because I've been asked so many times, people say, hey, where's the sanctuary? How do I, where's the, where do I drop my kid off? You're all on guest services. I know you also come here to see your friends. But man, make sure we never stop. Listen, the day a church begins to die is the day a church stops being hospitable. That we stop caring. We're so consumed with everyone who's here. We stop caring for those who have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. For those who have not yet found a healthy local church. That's what we're called to do. In fact, Peter, I love how Peter says it. He says, offer hospitality, okay, write this down, to one another without grumbling. Come on, I can see Peter now. He's like, listen, y'all need to stop complaining, okay? I know you, I know you got to park far away. I, I know you got to give up your seat. I know it's a little tighter in here now. Here's what that means. Say, hey, on Easter, Easter Sunday, it's going to be tight in here. And we're going to add a third service. But we're going to add a third service without grumbling and a smile. Come on, we're going to ask you to serve on the dream team without grumbling. We're going to ask you to give towards a Believe initiative so we can expand the work that God's doing here, so we can reach more people with the good news of the gospel, so more kids can hear about Jesus, and we are going to do it without grumbling. We're going to invite people to church, especially on Easter, without grumbling. It's getting quiet in this church. It's because you're not grumbling. <laughs> that we're called to offer hospitality, make room for new people. Listen, A growing church is an inconvenient church because we're going to ask you to give up your seat in a primetime service. We're going to ask you to serve on the setup team. We're going to ask you to give. And can I tell you this as your pastor, just to be clear, unapologetically. You know why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. Heaven and hell are realities. And this matters. If you believe it, say amen. The body of Christ matters. The mission of Jesus matters. So we will unapologetically practice hospitality without grumbling and a bright smile. My last scripture, Luke 5, 29. So Jesus is hanging out with some tax collectors and some sinners. Tax collectors, give context. Some of you are thinking about tax collectors because it's tax season. Come on, somebody. But tax collectors then, they were known for scamming people out of money. So they were Jewish, oftentimes Jewish people who worked for the Roman government, 
cheating their own family, their own people out of money. So they were so bad that the Pharisees said, you are actually, catch this, this is how twisted religion can get. They said, because of what you do, you are ceremonially unclean and you cannot come into church. So Jesus, not only, watch this, not only is he hanging with tax collectors, one of his disciples is the chief tax collector. Come on, you go, Jesus. He's like, not only am I going to spend time with those people, but I'm going to actually call one of the very worst to help me, one of my leaders. Come on, Matthew. Go ahead and throw a party. I don't know about you, but I love that Jesus throws parties. Come on. And then the sinners, give me, give you context, were prostitutes. So he's hanging out with organized criminals and sex industry workers. And here's what the, here's what the Pharisees say. They say in verse 30, they complained bitterly. Religion without relationship with God will leave you bitter. They're bitter. They complained bitterly. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, (laughs) but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. If we, as the body of Christ, follow the ways of Jesus when it comes to church, Let me put it this way. I believe the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, should be the safest place for those who have made mistakes. It should be the safest place for those who are struggling with sin. It should be the safest place for those struggling with an addiction. The safest place for those whose marriage is on the rock because of infidelity. It should be the safest place for those who struggle, like the Pharisees, with pride the safest place for those who struggle with greed, the safest place for tax collectors who con people out of money, the safest place for organized criminals, the safest place for all of us because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and we need a savior. Jesus is setting a precedent. But here's what happens. When we actually create a church like Jesus is, is outlining that is safe for people to come, all people, here's what inevitably is gonna happen. I don't know if you realize this, but the church is full of imperfect people. Have you realized this? It's full of people with struggles and, and difficulties and sin. And if you don't think you have a struggle, your struggle is pride. <laughs> Say it in love, but I speak the truth. You know, I... Um, Yesterday was a big day for the Burroughs family. We added a sixth member to the family. Uh, Nope, we're not having any more children. We added a furry member to the family. We got a golden doodle named Toby. And uh, he, um, so we, we, he's adorable. And, you know, before we got him, we saw the pictures and he's just, you know, absolutely adorable and, the kids saw him when we, we pulled up yesterday. We, we, we picked him up, and on the way home, they were laughing, having so much fun with him. He was all playful in the back seat. And then when we got home, he got a little, he got a little too excited. He was like, man, new house, three kids, it's crazy. 
party every day. And when dogs get a little too excited, many of you pet owners know this, sometimes some things come out. I'm not referring about a bark. <laughs> he had an accident in our house. Couple. In the midst of excitement, he was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> Time out. And uh, some of our kids initially were like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for that cute dog in the picture. And that, like, really great hour in the backseat. Like, that's what I signed up for. <laughs> I didn't sign up for dog poop, right? And it got me thinking in the church that as Christians, if we're not careful, we can fall in love with the idea or ideal church where it's like, oh, man, this is going to be like, it's just going to be like everyone's acting like Jesus. And no one's ever going to do anything to ever hurt me. And I've been there. But here's, what, here's, what, here's, here's my caution. I don't say it to, to hope it doesn't come across. I'm not, I'm not devaluing any of that. Like, I've been there. But if we're, care, if we're not careful, we can fall in love with this ideal picture that is not a complete reality. Because anything of value will cost you something. And if you want to experience the true value of a local church, it's going to cost you something. And it's, it's not always peaches and roses. <laughs> it's not always little beautiful golden doodle playing with you in the back seat. Sometimes there's a mess. Sometimes there's someone who says a careless word and hurts you. Sometimes you feel overlooked by somebody, even if they didn't intend to because the church is full of imperfect people who are worshiping a perfect God. He's perfect, we're not. That doesn't give us liberty to be, well, that's just the way I am. <laughs> but what I'm saying is to give us a proper picture of what we're saying yes to and to not love the idea of church. Let me just say this, do not love the idea of church. Love people. Because you fall in love with this ideal and then you realize God gave you people. Have anybody else realized sometimes it's difficult to love people? Some of you are looking all holy. Nope, never pastor. It's so easy for me. It's hard to love people. It's hard to forgive people. It's hard to be kind to people. It's hard to be compassionate to people. That's what we're called to do. I end with this. Quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian. I, his life is incredible. He said this, a person who loves their dream of community or dream of church would destroy it. But the person who loved those around him will create it. What we are called to do is not to love this ideal. We're called to love the people around us. Loving one another as Christ has loved us, can be difficult, can be challenging, can be messy, but it's worth it because he loved us and we will experience the very best of the body of Christ as we do as he has done. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me.